Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Paul says, look, I'm content. Now, I would look at Paul and say, of the apostles, he seemed to be the greatest, doesn't he? He's done the most work. He's wrote the most books. He's next, I mean, next to Jesus Christ. I mean, really, Paul is responsible for so much of the New Testament that he would seem to have been the greatest. He says, look, guys, I'm the least of all the guys, and I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. And it, that says something. Right? Maybe, maybe that's why God could use him so greatly, because he wasn't full of himself. Everybody wants to be the best, right? If there's a group you would like to be seen as the strongest member, the better option. It's human nature, but is it God's way? In his message today, Pastor Bill will remind you that being the least is actually the better way. Instead of striving to look good, serve someone else. Do the job that people think is beneath them. Don't elevate yourself to be promoted. The Apostle Paul referred to himself as being less than, and he was content with that. Are you? Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Now, for you, look at this and think, Paul had poor self-esteem. Paul said, look, I am, the, I am less than the least of all the saints. That means you can't go no lower than that. That means y'all are all the saints and I'm less than the least. So whoever is the least of y'all, I'm less than that. You know, why does he say that about himself? It's not false humility and Paul's not struggling with his self-esteem. I believe that the closer a person gets to the Lord, the more they'll become aware it's not about you. It's nothing that you've done. The more you come, you become aware of God's grace upon your life, that God, this really is a thing of grace. This really is undeserved, unmerited favor from you upon my life. I really don't deserve this. It's, it's, it's almost an indication of the farness from God when somebody is full of themselves. When somebody feels like because of what they do, there's something. It's the most unfitting thing in the world for a minister to be arrogant. Because, you know, you're handling the word of God. You know better than anybody else that it's not about you. That you, you haven't done anything. God has been merciful and gracious to let you minister the word. It's the most unfitting thing ever for, for someone that's ministering in that way to be full of themselves. We should all be very humble, thankful people for what God has done for us. Because truly, the greatest things that we have, God did for us. Amen. We didn't save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We couldn't die for ourselves. The best things that have been done, God did for us. Oh, but I got spiritual gifts. Who gave the spiritual gifts? God did. Who empowers the gifts? God does. Who opens doors for you to use the gifts? God does. If God took away everything he gave, you'd be nothing. Truly, you have nothing to offer, nothing to benefit. And so everything great about the, the man or the woman of God, the people of God, is really what God has done. That should humble us. That should not make us full of ourselves. That should not make us look up our nose at everybody else, you know. And so Paul said, look, I'm less than the least of all the saints. He says, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'll come back to the unsearchable riches. But he said, it was this grace was given to me. This unmerited, this unmerited favor from God was given to me. And so if you're writing notes, I'm going to give you a few things that Paul says about himself. And we'll just see. It seemed that the further he went, the closer he got, the, the more he just came down, the more humility there was about him. In Galatians chapter six, verse three, Paul says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, 
he deceives himself. And so if you think yourself to be something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. And so anybody that struggles with pride, anybody here that struggles with being full of yourself, he says, if any man that thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, you deceive yourself. You might deceive a few other people too, but you're really deceiving yourself into thinking more of yourself than you ought to think. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine, Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm, I mean, I'm one of the guys, but I'm the least of all of them. I, I used to persecute the church. Peter never persecuted the church. John didn't persecute. I did. And so he says, I'm OK with being the least of all the apostles. What does our human nature want to be better than everybody else? If you got 12, you know, pastors, human nature, I want to be the best pastor. <laughs> you know, if you got five singers, you want to be the best of the five singers. You know, you guys are pretty good compared to me. You know, you got you athletes. You know, if you're a, if you're a runner, you got five runners. You just want to be the fastest of the five runners. You guys are all just a little bit slower than me. That's human nature. We all want to be a little bit better. And some people will make themselves a little bit better by doing what? What do many people do to make themselves better? Put others down, lie, you know, cheat, whatever. People do whatever they got to do to be better. Cheat, you name it, I could, I could go on. So here's the thing. Paul says, look, I'm content. Now, I would look at Paul and say, of the apostles, he seemed to be the greatest, doesn't he? He's done the most work. He's wrote the most books. He's next, I mean, next to Jesus Christ. I mean, really, Paul is responsible for so much of the New Testament that he would seem to have been the greatest. He says, look, guys, I'm the least of all the guys, and I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. And it, that says something. Maybe, maybe that's why God could use him so greatly, because he wasn't full of himself. Maybe some of us are hindered from what God would do because God sees that you're full of yourself and he ain't even doing nothing yet. And so then that, that can be a hindrance where God doesn't want to try to destroy a person. And some people can't God, they can't handle anything else because it would just destroy them. They're so full of themselves already. Anybody ever see somebody prideful about something that they're not good at? <laughs> I've seen people prideful about their basketball games and I see their basketball game and I'm like, how did you become prideful about this? I just, I don't understand how you ever got so proud about that game right there, but that, that's human nature. You can't tell them. Y'all point, y'all stop pointing fingers. Some of y'all point fingers out. I, I ain't asking y'all to do that, so. But that could, really, seriously, it could be a hindrance to what God would do, that he knows that, you know, humble yourself. Be, find a place where you may fall. I'm the least of all the apostles. Then he says, Right here, we're looking at Ephesians 3 8. It says, I'm, the le- I'm less than the least of all the, s- the saints. I'm, I'm less than the least of all the believers. Never mind the apostles. It's like, Paul, are you going, are you, are you doing worse? Are you going lower? Or is it just a matter of Paul reckoning? I'm, I'm, I'm becoming less and less. You know, what do you say? I may decrease that he may increase. There'll be less of me and more of him. That's what you see happening in Paul's life. Paul told, Paul said to Timothy in first, Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now he's the chief. First, he was the least of the apostles. Then he's less than the least of all the saints. Now he's the chief of sinners. Either Paul is falling back in his walk with the Lord or, which is that's not the case. He's just his perspective. The closer he gets to the Lord, he's more and more 
humble and just a lesser view of himself that, that he might continue to be useful in the hand of God. And so as we challenge our best Paul's perspective of himself, again, reality, I look at Paul that he was great. His perspective on himself, maybe which is why he could be great, was that he was low. He had a lowest, he had a low, uh, a low estimate of himself that God could be great in his life. He reckoned everything that was good about him, he gave God the credit, God the glory for. Could I encourage you to investigate your perspective on yourself? Do you see yourself more highly than you are? Do you look at the great things about you and recognize that's God's grace? Think about the things about you that are good. Some of y'all don't have to think very long. Think about the things in you that some of us, there are things that hey, this is good about me. People recognize this about me. This is a, a recognizable, positive characteristic that people that know me point out to me. Where did it come from? Who graced you with that? And, and can God have use of it? Can, can, can God get any shine or any glory from it? Or do you take it all for yourself? Make sure you, you find not a, not, not, a, not a spiritual, phony way to give God the credit, you know, I just give God all the glory, you know, but then you talk about yourself for the next hour, you know, but but really that you would investigate your life and say, God, help me change my perspective. I am prideful. I do take credit when I should give when I should give honor to you and give God proper honor. Give him glory for the things that are in our life. It'll keep you more useful. You guys, that's what you can learn from Paul. His perspective on himself. It seems low, but he was used in a great way, was he not? His life was very useful in God's hand. That's what I want to be. I want to be useful. We get this, we get a window on earth, you guys. However long we get to live, you know, long, short, it's, it's really irrespective. doesn't matter how long we're going to be here, but what's it going to matter? Because you're going to be on earth for so long, you get to do everything God's called you to do for from the time you get saved to the time you die, and then you go to heaven if you're born again. And you don't get to do anything else on earth. And so the season that we're in right now, we're all here alive. Hopefully we're born again. We know the Lord. This is your season to sow into eternity. This is your season to affect, you know, the everlasting realm. Make sure you make good use of it because you got purpose and make sure that your perspective isn't the thing that's slowing you down or hindering you. Make sure you're not full of yourself, but that you're a humble individual. You have every right to be humble. If you understand the gospel correctly, you'll know that there's nothing you could do for yourself. Everything you have, God did it for you. You can't be prideful. You should be very thankful for the Lord. And if God has blessed you with gifts and abilities, honor him. Thank him for giving you those abilities and gifts. Because truly, every, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? And if God's giving you gifts and abilities, honor him with those things. God, thank you for giving me these things. Let me give them back to you. Let me. The best thing I can do with my gifts and abilities is offer them back to God. For his purpose and his use in this life. Amen. All right. Moving on now it says in verse the last part of verse eight, which I didn't get to. He says that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I, I was meditating on that. Just, you know, it's, it's, it's a very encouraging thought that it's unsearchable. What does that mean? That means you're never going to get to the end of it. You're never gonna, you're never gonna study Christ enough. You're never gonna, you're never gonna get done with your study of scripture and be, you never get to a place with the Bible where it's like, okay, I, I know the whole book now. You know, anybody here, you can read a novel, maybe some books you read at school, and there's some books that you read, and once you read them, you don't, you don't want to read them again. I, I know that book already. I read that already. You know, the book just done. I, it's a one-time read. There's something unique about the Bible, you guys. It's living and powerful. And you can read it and read it and read it and read it, and God will keep speaking to you through it. Living and powerful. I've been reading through the Bible every year for some time, and every time I go through it again, God is still speaking. 
God is still showing me things. Um, there was for years I used to do this. Every year I would read the proverb. There's, there's a proverb for every day of the month. And I would read the proverb for the month, every for the day of the month, every month throughout the year. And I did that for years. And every month it was still speaking. I was like, I did that every month last year, and I did it every month again this year, and it's still speaking because it's unsearchable. You're never going to get done with it. And that's encouraging me as someone that studies and teaches the Bible. I'm never going to be done. I'm never going to know enough. I'm never going to be able to slow down. Okay, I, I kind of got this now. I'll always be going. God will always be showing and revealing new things. Years ago, a group of pastors, when I was doing youth ministry, we got invited to a, a once a month pastors gathering. And every month they would bring out a guest speaker. That, that year they brought out an older pastor and, you know, he was he had wrote a lot of books and he had done a lot of ministry. He was 92 years old. And at the time I was, you know, younger. I don't know if I was in my 30s or 20 something or wherever I was. When I heard the guy was 92, I was like, oh, man. I mean, this is going to be lame. This guy is just going to, what could he say at 92? I mean, it, it seemed like a novel idea that they were honoring this older man. But I was like, oh, man, that's how I felt when I went. Right. And I got there and, you know, we had our little, you know, eat, ate and stuff. And, and you see the guy. The guy is really old. He, he has help getting up to the thing. And when he gets up there, he's literally he's not holding onto the pulpit for, you know, just for he, he's really holding on. This is holding me up right now. This dude opened up his mouth. And you heard over 50 years of wisdom pouring out. And there was, I mean, at 92, this this brother still had fire and passion. And he was ministering. And I was sitting in my seat. I was so convicted. I was so convicted that I had judged him the way I did. that That I had thought that, oh, this old guy. And I sat there and it was like, that man left. And one of the things he said that just, it it pierced me. He said that as he prepared for that time to talk to Pat, he said, I know my time is, is running short. And he said, but God gave me new things. God is, I mean, at 92, he's, he's been ministering over 50 years and God is still giving him new things, ministering the word to him in new ways. And I remember sitting there just thinking, Dude, we never going to be done. And I, I was convicted, but I was so encouraged that, that it is unsearchable. Uh, we're never going to get done. We can we can do this. We do the Bible plan. We're almost to the end of the year. I hope y'all are doing it. And in January, we're going to do it all over again. We're going to start a brand new year. Maybe some of y'all need to jump in this new year, buy a new Bible and prepare to just roll through the year. It's not going to get old. We're not going to we're not going to run out of you know space for the Holy Spirit to minister to us through this. So Paul says um, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse nine. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the min- of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so this this thing that had been a mystery had been hidden in God, but it's now being revealed through Paul. Now, verse 10, he says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And Paul says that the if you notice the way it's written out here, he says it's it's by the church that these the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known by the church to the principalities and powers. When you see the phrases or the words principalities and powers, it's speaking of the angelic realm, angels and demons. And God is saying they're actually learning by watching us. And I want you to consider this, right? The angelic realm, the angels and demons, they know God in a way that we don't know God. We know God by faith. They know God in reality. We know God by what's written and we have to read it and believe it by faith and then live and appropriate what we've learned and believe in our hearts. They know it in, in reality. And so they I'm telling you guys that the unseen realm, they have to marvel. 
Right? Won't we have a different relationship with the Lord than they did? When the angels that fell with Satan fell, can they be forgiven? No. They're, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that God gives no aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And so they have to marvel that we get to have so many chances. How many of us did God give chances and chances and he finally got saved? Um, some of you guys grew up in Christian homes and, you know, you knew better, but you didn't do better. And eventually God saved you. They had to be in heaven just saying, look, marveling at the chances that are being given. They don't they didn't get those chances. They didn't get another chance and another chance and another chance. At the same time, I believe that, you know, why is there, you know, why is there warfare that, that kicks on when a person starts to really go for it in the Lord? You start stepping out to be a witness for the Lord and, and there's things that start happening in your world. Things start happening. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. The enemy jumps in there. Why? Because in the unseen realm, they hate the fact that people can be saved. Right? They want people to stay lost. They want people. It's, it's, it's like, you know, the enemy is, they can't, they can't get out of going to hell. So whoever I could take with me, I want to take with me. I was thinking through that and trying to think of an illustration. This is what I, I came up with. I'd be watching these prison shows. And if you get a guy in prison that's got life and without the possibility, he's going to die in prison and he knows it. You really don't want him interacting with a guy that's going to do two or three years. And some prisons become an overpopulation. This happens. I actually listened to the interviews of guys that got to prison. You know, this guy was going to do two or three years and he got wrapped up with these guys that are in there for life. And, you know, I don't want to gross y'all Sunday morning out, but these guys that are doing life with, you know, basically you just came here. You knew you don't know the ropes. If you don't do this, this and this then these other things are going to happen to you. Guys, no, I don't want that to happen to me. And so, you know, you got a guy that was only going to do two or three years that now he done killed people and caught cases in prison where now he's going to be there for the rest of his life. These guys get older and that, that's the interview I saw. These guys had grown up and they just said, man, um, it, it's, it's a catch-22, you know. Uh, when you first get here, you don't know anything. The guys that are here, they're already going to rot and die here. And it's almost like their objective is to trick as many people into joining them to rot and die here. So that's what happened to me. These guys who you thought were your friends, thought they were giving you game, they now got you spending the rest of your life here when you, you could have been gone in two or three years. And that's what Satan wants to do. When people are lost, think about why do, you, why do people stay lost? Why does Satan make the world look so attractive and so appealing? Because he wants you to stay lost. You need to be aware of that. That there's an unseen realm. There's, there's spiritual forces. In the same way that the Spirit of God is trying to open your eyes and cause you to see your need to come to Jesus, what is working against that in the unseen realm, there are things that are saying, no, don't. This will be fun. Satan will open up new doors. He'll give you new things to look at. You need to open up your eyes and realize that God has done everything that he can do. God's made known and made available to you and me everything we need that we can be saved. And so... When it says here that the, 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 the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, they're actually learning as they watch us. They're learning about God's grace. They're learning about the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God as they watch what God is doing in the church. And they have to be blown away at the, the mercy and the grace and the chances that we're given to be saved. And so I would challenge anybody here that if there's any question in your life and your heart as to whether or not you're saved, if you need to be made right, need to get right, that you would really take advantage of what God has made available in Jesus Christ. That God is everything you need to be saved. Right? You were a sinner. I made a provision for sinners. I love sinners. I sent my son, lived the perfect, holy, sinless life, and he died in your place so that you don't have to 
be separated from God so you don't have to pay for the penalty of your own sin. God paid for you and God invites you to come to him, but you can't, he don't make you come. He invites you to come. And you have to come believing that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and surrendering your life to him, saying, God, the, the fruit of that belief is that I surrender my life. I repent. I turn from sin. I turn to God. If you've never done that, then I would challenge you today. You don't have a greater need today than that you would do that. That you would turn from whatever you're doing and turn to the Lord and receive his forgiveness for your sins. Amen. So now it says in verse 11, it says, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. And um, God, that's God's eternal purpose is to forgive and save as many sinners as will come to him. That's what he's wanting to accomplish. Last two verses, um, we looked at purpose. We looked at Paul's perspective. Now we'll look at his passion in verse 12 and 13. It says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Paul says, look, in, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. It's through what Jesus has done for us that we have one. We have boldness and we can approach God boldly. Um, you know, some people think, you know, some people are, you know, mess up and they sin. They're 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 kind of tentative. Like, I don't know if I can come before God. I just did X, Y and Z. And God said, no, you can come boldly. Why? Why is it that people can come boldly to God? Because of what Jesus did. Amen. You can't come boldly because you sin. You can't come boldly because you've been good enough. We can come boldly to God because Jesus has made the way straight for us. Jesus has made a provision. He says, you can come. We have boldness and access, right? The same reason I can come to God anyway, have access to God is through what Jesus did. He died in my place. We have boldness and access with confidence. It's not a matter of if, right? If you come to God, you don't have to come to God wondering if God will receive you. You come with confidence. How can you be confident that God will receive you? Because he told you he would. We go boldness and access with confidence because God told us, right? Not because of us, not because of anything that we have done, but we can have boldness. We can come boldly and we have access with confidence because God told us, come. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4, 16 says, we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and when we need it the most, we come boldly to the Lord. God can't wait to forgive you. God can't wait to receive a sinner to himself. The, the imagery, the, the probably the best you know, scripture picture of the, the image of God is the story of the, the, the prodigal son. When, when that son came home after he disrespected his dad, spent all the money, lived a riotous life. When he came home, that dad was sitting on the porch. And when he saw his son afar off, what did he do? It says he ran. That culture, men didn't run. Y'all think y'all cool today. And that culture, men didn't run. You, you walked. He ran out fell on his neck, kissed him, and received him back. He was, it was excited to have him back. That's the picture of God the Father saying, please come back. And every one of those stories, lost coin, lost son, it, you know, it says that there's more, there's, there's, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. All of heaven erupts, throws a party when one person comes back to the Lord. And so we know that a person can come with boldness and have access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul says, don't y'all worry about my little chains. Don't y'all worry about my tribulation. Don't, don't you be discouraged because I'm in jail. Paul didn't want the believers to be out there saying, oh, man, Paul's in prison. I can't believe Paul says, I'm all right. I'm over here with purpose. I'm over here, got a good perspective, and I'm passionate about what I'm doing. You guys will be, you guys will be okay. And so 
I hope that we'll take from the message today for those of us that are believers, that we will seek the Lord for clarity about his purpose in our lives. I hope that we'll have a right perspective, that we'll be humble in our assessment of ourselves and that we will be passionate about the things that God has called us to do. Even if, like Paul, it costs you some discomfort, but if somebody else is benefiting, if other people are getting saved, then so be it. been listening to another edition of a transforming word with pastor bill buffington of calvary chapel inglewood thanks for tuning in the book of ephesians is full of relevant content that can be applied to us today one of the biggest themes throughout paul's new testament letter is unity we live in a culture that seems to love to disagree but the bible is very clear about seeking unity even when you disagree Of course, this isn't always easy, but unity is a big part of who God is and what he desires for you. So the next time you disagree with someone, don't see them as an enemy. See them as a brother or sister in Christ and ask the Lord to soften your heart for that person. If you're struggling with this in your life, feel free to text or call us and we'll be more happy to pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, the number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit us in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit calvaryinglewood.org. Again, that website was calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Ephesians, and you won't want to miss it. So be sure to join us next time right here on A Transforming Word.